Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it's Wednesday, July 14th. Hope everyone is doing well and having a good week so far. Coming up today on the podcast, we're going to preview tonight's game four of the NBA Finals. Bucks Suns, that game is tipping off 9 o'clock on ABC. Huge, huge game for the series. It's 2-1. Massive, massive opportunity for both the Suns to go up 3-1 and for the Bucks to tie the series. We're going to get into that game and, and preview that game all the X factors and all the things to know about the game tonight. And then we're going to finish off with uh, talking a little bit about the MLB baseball all-star festivities that were the last couple days out in Colorado and just how fun it was and just how awesome Shohei Otani is. But we're going to start with the basketball. That game is tonight. We talked on the Monday podcast about this weird schedule, right? These two days off of pure rest between the games, right? So the game was on Sunday night. Game three, the Bucks were victorious. They were able to get the series to 2-1. And then Monday off, Tuesday off with no travel. So pure, pure rest days. And so we're going to start with with the Bucks and, and some things that they can do uh, ahead of this game. And, and the first thing is with those extra two rest days, Giannis gets two more days of rest and 48 plus hours of extended treatment, rehab, recovery, whatever he's doing for his knee, he gets 48 more hours of that, which remember he hyperextended his knee a week and a half, two weeks ago. Didn't know if we would see him again this playoffs, this next calendar year with how it looked on on video. He has been back. He has dominated game two and game three of the finals. Back-to-back 40-point, 10-rebound performances. We talked about how transcendent of a player he is, but him getting two extra days off of resting, recovery, you know, getting his body right, that is a massive, massive factor for for tonight's game as they need him to have another massive performance. It's the finals. You need your best players to come up big in the biggest moments. Giannis has done that the last two games. They're going to need that again tonight for uh, Milwaukee to, to tie the series at two. And Giannis having two days off between games is, is a huge, huge advantage for them. The other thing to look at, especially early on, and just throughout the game is the Bucks aggression going to the rim. This centers around Giannis and him not abandoning his jump shot, but just realizing these guys can't guard me. And then instead of taking a mid-range shot over Jay Crowder, but taking him to the rim, if Cam Johnson gets switched on to him, getting him in, in the post and going right through him for to draw a foul or get a dunk layup, the it starts with Giannis and his aggression, but the but the key is how Holiday approaches half court offense early in the game. Is he being super aggressive, driving to the rim, playing bully ball, getting Chris Paul on his hip, trying to go through Chris Paul? Uh, Holiday is a strong, strong dude. He is really tough to guard when he decides that I'm going to the rim because he's extremely strong, can finish with both hands around the rim, has pretty good touch on his floater. If Holiday comes out super aggressive attacking the rim the way he was in game three and the way he was towards the end of the Atlanta series, 
that's a great sign for Milwaukee. They, they need to get him going and not just going with his jump shot, but if he's attacking the rim, his jump shot will start to fall because he'll be drawing fouls, getting to the free throw line. That stuff will all be big for Holiday. And, you know, partially Milton as well, but Milton has a tougher defensive matchup on him in, in, uh, in Bridges. But Middleton's going to do his thing. Would love to see Middleton get to the rim as well. But it really, really starts with Holiday and just how aggressive the Bucks are getting to the rim. Using their size, obviously, with Lopez and Portis and Giannis, but their guards as well. Trusting your shooters in Connaughton, Forbes, if he gets in, Teague a, a little bit, Middleton. But also, if you can get to the rim, attack the rim. Because we talked about on our last podcast, the Suns don't have any depth. Really, at the... Uh, inside forward center position where they don't have rim protectors coming off the bench. So free throws are a huge, huge, huge factor for Milwaukee. How are the refs going to call this game? Are they, because if the Bucks are aggressive and forcing the refs to make decisions, that's going to be a huge part of the Bucks having a great chance to win this game because if they're settling for mid-range jumpers and, and uh, off-dribble threes, you're... You're t- even if even if those are going in, you're 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 letting Phoenix off the hook just a little bit because they don't have the rim protection off the bench the way that Milwaukee does. Phoenix really has one one player who can defend the rim, and that's DeAndre Ayton, and he's really good at it. But if you are driving at him every single time, drawing fouls either on Ayton or other guys coming in on the help, or different hand check fouls when when guys are driving. And you're getting to the free throw line. That's just going to be that's going to be absolutely massive for Milwaukee. Getting Giannis to the free throw line, and ideally Middleton and Holiday to the free throw lines. Hopefully six to ten times tonight each. When I say that, it means six attempts for Holiday to ten attempts uh, for Middleton. Somewhere in in that range for both of them. I think that will be a great sign that Milwaukee will will win this game tonight is if those guys are really into the free throw line and being super aggressive. But you never want to say that the refs uh, will decide the game because you, you want it to be the players on the court, but the refs have a big impact. And it's a, it's a big impact for Phoenix defensively and their rotations, and especially for M- Milwaukee on how, how they're scoring and uh, driving to, to the rim is a huge part of their game. So if they're getting fouls, they'll be a lot more willing to do it consistently than if they're not. You know, they, they may start to settle for some more jumpers, which which are fine shots, but not as great as going to the rim. For Phoenix, it's it's the same thing as as with Giannis for Milwaukee in terms of the rest of of these last two games. So Phoenix has dealt with more injuries than Milwaukee has in terms of. In, not just in the series, but of of their uh, bench unit. No Dario Saric. He gets hurt. Torrey Craig was banged up in game two. He came back game three. Didn't really look the same. But Chris uh, campaign obviously had the ankle injury against Clippers. He hasn't really been the same since. Having this two days off can allow one Chris Paul to get two more days of rest. He's the oldest player on Phoenix and it can help him play big minutes tonight if needed if like if campaign's struggling to score again, but expect Chris Paul to be in that 38 to 40 minute range tonight having after having two days off 
from between games three and four and two more days off, even though they have to travel, but two more days off between games four and five. Expect Chris Paul to play big, big minutes tonight, 38 to 41 minutes, maybe even more. Uh, and if and if Aiton can play in terms of foul trouble, expect him to be up in the 36-ish plus minute range as well for Phoenix. Another big question mark for for Phoenix is which Devin Booker's is going to show up tonight. Is it going to be the one who is even if he's struggling to shoot from the field and shoot from three and, and mid range? Is is it going to still be the is, is it going to be the guy who's getting to the free throw line and going eight for eight or ten for ten or eleven for twelve from the free throw line, or is it going to be the guy who goes like in game three who's five for seventeen from the field and three for four from the free throw line? That is something that Booker tonight needs to needs to find a way to get easier shots, whether that is getting to the free throw line, driving a little bit more aggressively to the basket, trying to get some advantageous matchups on on some switches, either in uh, cross matchups in transition or in the pick and roll in, in the half-court offense. It's He's a massive player for, for Phoenix. He's, he's their second all-star. They, they need him to put up 20-plus points tonight to have, to have a good chance to win. And it's going to be on him. He has done a good job bouncing back from uh, previous games in this playoffs where he shot poorly. He was, he's, he's, he's done a good job bouncing back and having a more traditional Devin Booker performance. But the stage now obviously is, is a lot bigger. NBA Finals on the road in Milwaukee. Milwaukee uh, should should be playing with a, still a little more desperate than Phoenix because they're still down in this series. But... That, that's just a question mark of which Devin Booker will show up tonight. Is going to be the one who gets 17 points inefficiently or is going to be the one who can get 28 points because he's also getting to the free throw line? And, and that kind of uh, fits back to what I, the, the thing with uh, Milwaukee about the free throws is, is the same thing. If How are the refs calling the game? Is, is Phoenix getting to the free throw line? Is, is Booker able to, to get to the free throw line? Is, is he able to get some of the perimeter fouls where he's able to, you know, once they're in the bonus, if – if he's getting hand-checked or, or, or a little too tight defense on the perimeter, is he able to to draw a foul and get to the free throw line? If they're calling those, that it, it could be a good night for him because he just gets this, he gets two free throws, a chance to see the ball go in, and maybe that will help him with his mid-range and his, and his three-pointers. But again, it's the referees. They will have an impact on this game, not just for Milwaukee and how they're attacking the rim, but also with Booker and Chris Paul on the perimeter. And once, once they're in the bonus... Are they able to capitalize and, and get to the the free throw line? And even more so, it's it's Aiton and and the refs and 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 accounting. You know, we we talked about it on Monday extensively, and, and early in this podcast, we're not going to talk about it again about him and the foul trouble, which is partially it's it's a little unfair to him because it's not like he's a guy who is prone to getting foul trouble. He's actually done a great job this 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 not just this whole playoffs, but almost his whole NBA career of not getting in foul trouble all the time that's not a real pressing concern with him that frequently is oh is well if Eaton doesn't get in foul trouble it's 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 more so was forced in game three because of how aggressive Milwaukee was that Eaton got into foul trouble he's very good at not fouling actually but there's only so much he can do where on every single play he has to go and and contest a shot or if he's guarding Giannis and Giannis is driving to the rim, and he's not getting the weak side help to to build the wall, right? Fair or unfair to 
to Eaton because he has done a really job of not not fouling. It's a storyline in in this series and especially for Game Four is him and the refs. How are the refs going to call his interior play? Is it, is it going to be a little tight and he's going to pick up a foul that that that's maybe not a foul in in a different game or if the game is in Phoenix, or is it going to be does he get burned on a foul because someone doesn't help? When, when Giannis is driving and, and is where they need to be, you know, will it be a block charge foul or, or something on if he's on offense and he picks up an, an offensive foul? And it's only a huge, huge issue because Dario Saric is hurt and, and Phoenix doesn't have someone who can play the five reliably while he's out resting, whether that's for four minutes, whether that's for 15 minutes. It's more so just a product of, the injuries and where and where they're at in this series. And I think it could be a counter. We talked about on Monday, but I even, you know, with the two days off, think, thinking about it more, the zone defense, even when Aiton's on the court, but especially when he's off the court, going zone, even if it costs you a little bit in the offensive rebounding, forcing that, forcing Milwaukee maybe to try to take some more jump shots instead of getting all the way to the rim and being able to attack the rim with post-ups and pick and roll stuff. I think that will be really, really important for Phoenix as Milwaukee's done a much, much better job of getting into their ash on offense earlier, using Giannis as the screener and getting to the rim. And because that forces guys, especially in transition, if they're not in their ideal matchups, to guard unfamiliar actions or guard familiar actions from unfamiliar spots. You know, there was a there's a moment where in game three, Eaton was guarding Bobby Porce in the corner and Giannis is rolling and Eaton goes in to help. And, you know, how many times is DeAndre Eaton guarding the guy in the corner during a pick and roll during the season? He's usually the guy in the action. So trying to get guys out of place for both teams early in transition could be really huge. But I think I think we could see Phoenix going a little more zone defense tonight, especially depending on how the refs are calling the game and how Milwaukee is attacking the basket. But I'm super excited. That that's just a quick preview of, of, of three things for for each team to to hit on tonight. Some potential X factors, but I'm really excited. That's nine o'clock Eastern time on ABC Game Four, Bucks Suns. I think the Bucks will win. I think that they'll just keep attacking the basket. Being at home gives them the advantage, but. I'm super pumped. It should be a really, really good game. Lastly, for today's podcast, MLB Baseball just wrapped up its All-Star game last night in Colorado. It was probably one of the biggest, most important All-Star games in recent Major League Baseball history. And probably in the last 10 years in terms of importance to the to the game and, and introducing their next generation of stars to the general public and, and, and to the baseball world. And those guys are Shohei Otani, Fernando Tatis Jr., Juan Soto, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., just to name four, because there is, you know, I could go on and on and on. Pete Alonso, who 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 won the home run derby, he, you know, got introduced two years ago, but but you know, reintroducing him after the the COVID season last year. This is their. This was their chance to say because they got a lot of guys into the big events, the home run derby, all star game, all star game starters, to introduce them that these are the new faces of the game. These are the guys who they're going to try to appeal to the younger generation, people who are making baseball fun, guys who are doing just incredible things on the field, 
um, whether it's Otani, Tatis, anybody who I mentioned, Bellinger, who struggled with injuries this year but won the World Series last year and became a viral meme <laughs> during the World Series run with, with the Dodgers. These guys are massive, massive uh, players, not just on the, on, on the field, but massively important as well as baseball tries to market their game a little more nationally and to, to the next generation of kids who are watching highlights on Twitter or Instagram or YouTube and, and getting a chance to see these guys who, even if they're not sitting down and watching an entire baseball game, but they're watching an awesome home run by Tatis, a insane fastball or splitter by Otani, you know, Vlad Guerrero hitting, Vlad Jr. hitting a 400-foot, you know, 450-foot home run. Soto doing his uh, Soto shuffle in the box where after, you know, the pitch goes by and it's ball, you know, he kind of slides towards the pitcher. All that stuff is making baseball fun and really, really, uh, hopefully, for, for baseball, entertaining to a younger generation of fans as these guys can, can have those highlight moments that are perfect for a 10-second Instagram or uh, Twitter cl- uh, clip. And it officially introduced Shohei Otani to the world. He is a two-way star from Japan. He hits and he pitches. He leads baseball currently with 33 home runs. And he is one of the best pitchers in the American League. Uh, he's one of the best pitchers on the Los Angeles Angels. He did, just think about how crazy this is. He did the home run derby on, on Monday night, was the starting pitcher for the American League on Tuesday night, and batted leadoff for the American League on Tuesday night. And now you could say, okay, he did that because it's an exhibition and baseball changed the rules so that he could DH and stay in the game for an extra at-bat once his one inning of pitching was done. Oh, blah 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 blah. That's you know that's not real baseball. It's it's an all star game. It's an exhibition. We're 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 gonna let him we're gonna let him hit again because again it's an exhibition and he is awesome. And he was the number one seed in the home run derby, mashed up against Juan Soto, World Series champion for the Washington Nationals. And the guy who Otani is compared mostly to is Babe Ruth for his two way pitching, power hitting. And Soto is compared to Ted Williams. So it was almost, so it was basically the reincarnation of Ted Williams versus Babe Ruth in round one of the home run derby. Otani hit six 500 foot home runs in his one round. They tied at 22. Otani had nine outs in a row to start, then hit 22 home runs in basically two minutes and 10, two minutes, 15 seconds. Um, then they went to the tie break round. They both tied again with, with six home runs. Then Soto wins the the three swing, uh, the three the the three swing tiebreaker. But there's no legit co- uh, comparison to what Otani is doing. People will call him to Babe Ruth, and yes, Ruth pitched, and he was the home run king for 50, 60 years until Hank Aaron broke the record. But Ruth basically stopped pitching at a certain point and became just a hitter. Otani is pitching and hitting still and is the best and you know he's he's at the top 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 of both in in all of baseball Ruth Ruth was a good pitcher I don't know how great he was in in terms of the the league at that point obviously was a tremendous power hitter but he didn't keep both up for as long as Otani is doing or seemingly will, will be doing 
He put on a show. It was showtime. You could tell everyone was there to watch a home run derby. My entire Twitter feed was full of people tuning in to watch Otani hit home runs, and he put on a show. Even though he lost in round one, he put on a show. Um, and you could tell the the, the crowd, largely because he hit last to build up the TV excitement, when he got eliminated, a lot, a lot of the people in, in Colorado left because they were like, they came to see Otani, and Otani, and Otani delivered with... Six 500-foot home runs from a pitcher. Just massive, massive shots. It was just unbelievable. He is must-see TV. And he's not only must-see TV. He is must-see in person. If you're, if, if you're able to go and, and, and willing to go, he is, he is must, must-see in any form, whether it's him pitching. Because he hit 100 miles an hour on Tuesday night. So, so think about this. On Monday night, he hit six. He hit 28 home runs. In the Derby, six of those were over 500 feet, and then the next night he hit 100 miles an hour a couple times with his fastball. Just unreal stuff from Otani. He is must must see if possible. He deli- he he showed up as the talk of All Star Weekend, and and he delivered to the extent that he will likely be the face of Major League Baseball. With, with the other guys I mentioned, but Otani in particular because of his magnetism and the uniqueness of his game and, and everything that, that he's doing with the pitching and the hitting at, at such a high level, he will likely be the face of baseball for for the foreseeable future. And, and I am pumped for it. Hopefully the Angels make, make the playoffs this year so we get some Otani magic in the playoffs because could you imagine him in the World Series Pitching game six, going like seven innings, keeping his team in it, and then in game seven batting and, and having a, a massive home run because because that's the type of stuff that 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 is in in contention for Otani because he's such a good player and doing such a such a unique thing in 2021 where the hyper specialization of athletes, the hyper specialization even in games of of roles. And you have this guy who says, "No, I'm I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do both. And I'm not not only going to do both, but I'm going to do but, but I'm going to be incredible at both. And the when one of the best in the world at both. So super inspiring. So much fun to watch as a fan. And I can't wait to see what happens and how many home runs he hits this season. He's at 33 now. Hopefully, maybe he can get to 50 or or even 60. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever your podcast, where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. Also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back uh, tomorrow. Take care and make it a great day.